Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. I meant to introduce myself. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Drew Shelley. I'm one of the pastors here at First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It's a gift to be together. I'm glad to see you. And if I don't know you yet, I hope to know you before we leave here today. If you would just stop by and say hello. Let's hear our New Testament lesson, Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Let's hear the Word of God together. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. This is what happened in chapter 10 of the book of Acts. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers or the Jewish believers criticized him, saying, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house." He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. 
this is the Word of God for the people of God, and so we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Do, uh, do y'all know what this is? Has anybody seen one? Have you seen one before? Have you seen? This one came from a yard sale, okay? That's, it was 50 cents at a yard sale. How about this uh, atlas? This is an atlas or a map. I'm very thankful that my daddy taught me how to use one of these a long time ago. Uh, he actually, my daddy, is still using one of these, okay? He's still today actively using one of these atlases. It is, there's one in his truck, and there is one by his chair at the house. I remember uh, their first trip to Murfreesboro after we moved here. We were visiting them before they came here. We were discussing the best way to get to our house in Murfreesboro. He said, let me get my map. Let's see what Mr. McNally has to say about it. Daddy loves his atlas. He adores his atlas. He got the, it's, it's dog-eared. It's got, it's got sticky notes in it. It's falling apart. That little slip of paper that he has for scaling distance, it says one mile, five miles, ten miles. He, that fell out on the floor. He had to pick it up. He was so proud to get Mr. McNally out to study about coming to Murfreesboro. He said, here's what we'll do. He looked for a little while. Here's what we'll do. He had Tennessee. Let me get Tennessee. See, this takes a while, doesn't it? It takes a while to use an atlas. You have to find the state to start with. and You can't just talk to this thing. Open Tennessee. That's not how this works. So he got it. He said, well, first thing, we'll go over to I-40. That's the first direction that he gave. We'll go over to I-40. Now, you need to know from their house over to I-40 is 45 minutes and about eight turns to get to I-40. But that's all he needs to know. We go over to I-40, and then we'll go... We'll go east to Nashville. Then we'll get on I-24, headed south. That's what we'll do. We'll look for Murfreesboro. We'll get off of I-24. We'll go to the square, okay, go to the square in Murfreesboro, and you live on the north side of town, so we'll go north. That's what we'll do. He was eyeballing all this, kind of looking, and he had his little paper out, guessing how far stuff was. And he gave a remarkably accurate estimate. He said, it'll take about four hours. It'll take about four hours, which is right. That's almost exactly right from their house. I suggested to him that he might save about 20 minutes by using 840. 840 is not in his 1997 Rand McNally <laughs> Atlas. And he said, oh, no, that's a new road. That's a new road. We'll go this way first, and I'll check it out. Maybe next time we can go on 840. <laughs> he said, don't worry. Map, a map, and a compass. Y'all know about a compass? A map and a compass, and we'll get there. That's what we'll do, a map and a compass. I'm thankful, too, that my daddy taught me how to use a compass. It's a very useful thing. Uh, otherwise, I could never follow the directions that he gives to get places <laughs> without a compass. I suggested to him, I think wisely, that maybe they could just put our address into Mama's phone or Mama's car, which has navigation with traffic advisories. I suggested we could do that. I said, I told him how easy it was. I said, all you have to do is say, hey, Siri, navigate to 1828 Mosaic Trail, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and bam, you get turn-by-turn directions read aloud by someone from Australia from your house to my house. That's what you get. 
You don't even have to look at the map or the atlas at all. You don't have to have the little piece of paper. You don't have to have this. You just need to tell it what you want to do. You can say, hey, Siri, navigate home. It'll take you home. You can do that. You can set all of that up. He said, no, no, we don't need all that. I just told you I already know how to get there. <laughs> we'll call you when we get close. That's what he said. We'll call you when we get close. Well, they got to Kroger. When they came up here and they called, he said, we're at Kroger, come and get us. Do y'all remember how this used to work? We're at Kroger, come and get us. That's what he said. I said, well, Daddy, I don't know how to tell you this, but I've just been here a couple of months and already I have discovered five Krogers. I think there's supposed to be seven. I haven't found the other two yet. I don't know where you are. I can't come and get you. He said, oh, it's the one uh, that's just off the main road. I said, which one is the main road, Daddy? I he said, oh, I see a Bojangles. Do you want us to bring you some chicken? That's what. <laughs> yes, I know where you are now. Go get the chicken, and I'll be right there. To his great navigational credit, he was right here on Memorial at that Kroger. He got to that Kroger on Memorial, which is about a quarter of a mile from our house. He got there without Google at all to help him. It was impressive. Map and compass. That's what he had, map and compass. <laughs> We have just heard from the book of Acts one of the most helpful passages in dealing with the struggles of our day. If you have read the Bible in full, uh, you've come across, I'm sure, passages which really make you uh, scratch your head, haven't you? Anybody come across some of those very bizarre passages? We just don't know what to do with them. We read them and think, what does this, what does this mean? I mean, in the Old Testament, there is this whole section of ritual purity laws, which were clearly very important to the Hebrew people, to the Jewish people. They are in there. We don't follow those laws at all. They include things like uh, don't eat barbecue and catfish and don't wear cotton polyester blend clothes. If you do, you're sinning against God. That stuff is in there. It's all in there. I can show you where it is in Leviticus, and yet we don't follow those. I wonder who decided who decided to ignore these things, and, and why? Almost all Christians ignore these, and nobody is really worried about it. I, I wonder why. Why did we get to that place? We did decide to keep the Ten Commandments, but we put all this other stuff out. Why did we do that? How did we decide to do that? Who decided that we should do that? Jesus helps us a whole lot. Uh, he gives the most wonderful direction. What is most important in the law and the prophets, in what we would think of as the Old Testament. What is most important, you know it as well as I do, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's what's most important. It is so beautiful, so helpful, and so simple, just so simple, but we still struggle a lot. We would rather somebody provide us with an answer sheet or a roadmap, which includes things like the Bible says about everything. The Bible says, the Bible says, well, the Bible says, don't eat barbecue and catfish. I had that last night for supper. Some of y'all did too. I saw you at the Slick Pig when I came through there. So 
we still don't do what it says, and I wonder why. The Bible also says people who commit adultery should be stoned to death. That's what it says. They should be stoned to death. Thank goodness we've taken a different approach, or some of y'all wouldn't be here. That's just how, just how it is. Even Jesus took a different approach to that one. Look at John chapter 8. And furthermore, the way Jesus interprets adultery almost None of us would be here. He who even looks at a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery. So, why do we skip over this stuff? Is that even right? Do we just skip over it? Do we just ignore it? Do we just not worry about it or throw out all the stuff that we don't like? No, of course not. We must not ever do that. The whole Bible is the story of God saving humanity in and through Jesus Christ. The whole thing is the story, the whole thing. There are important, formative, and meaningful parts of the story which are very bad, but which must be told. We understand them as part of the whole story. We make a mistake when we treat the Bible as a Christian Google Maps with turn-by-turn roadmap and traffic and weather advisories, okay? We can run into trouble when we try to listen too closely to the little Australian voice telling us which road to turn next on, we can become like the Pharisees, who, though well-intentioned, I am sure, were set on somehow codifying every conceivable question of right and wrong so that we could always know exactly what to do in any given situation just by looking it up in our list. It's a roadmap, isn't it? And there is our challenge. The Bible is not a roadmap. The Bible is this. The Bible is a compass for navigating life. That's what it is. And that compass always points to Jesus. It doesn't always tell you which road to turn on in 500 feet to arrive at your destination. (laughs) but it always points to Jesus. It always tells you to follow him. Jesus has the roadmap. We do not have the roadmap. In the middle of the night, at a dead-end street in the deepest fog, you may not have a roadmap. You may not even have a road, but you've always got a compass, and that compass always points you to Jesus. I'm coming to understand That is what matters more than anything else in all the world. Peter found this out on the roof of Simon the Tanner's house. That's where he was in chapter 10 when all this stuff happened, the stuff that we just read about. He doesn't know it yet as he's on the roof of Simon the Tanner's house, but some Gentile people are getting ready to come and ask him to help them. They want him to come and stay at their home and share the gospel with them. They are desperate for the good news of Jesus Christ, and they don't even know what it is yet. An angel of the Lord has told them where to go to find Simon Peter. Cornelius, a Roman centurion, is the Gentile in question. This is chapter 10. He sends some people to ask Peter to come. The roadmap, the roadmap says good, faithful Jewish people like Peter, even Christian Jewish people, Do not ever associate with evil, wicked Gentiles. If Cornelius is interested in Jesus, why, he's going to have to become a Jew first, 
The roadmap says Peter cannot be at their house, he cannot eat at their table, can't spend any time with them. It would be a violation of purity laws, of worship rules, and just the way we've always done things. The roadmap is very, very clear. But God is at work off the roadmap, sending an angel also to Cornelius so he'll know to go get Peter, sending a vision to Peter so he'll know what to do when they come for him. What is that vision? You, you heard the vision in Peter's own words. Peter is praying at the Jewish hour of prayer. It's about lunchtime. He's got food on his mind, clearly. A vision comes, uh, a huge white sheet full of all kinds of impure animals, stuff that he has never eaten in his entire life because the roadmap of the purity law says, don't eat this stuff. He's never eaten any of it. The voice says, get up, Peter. Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Kill and eat. Peter says, oh, no, Lord. Oh, my goodness. No, I have never eaten anything unclean or profane, and I'm sure not about to start now. It happens three, three times. The voice, verse 9, the voice says, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Now, what is this good Jewish boy supposed to do? The Lord has snatched the road map out of his hands and replaced it with a compass, who is the Holy Spirit. At that very moment, Cornelius's Gentile group shows up looking for Peter. The Holy Spirit impresses on Peter that he must go with them. Peter and his six friends are now in uncharted territory. There is no road map for where they're going. The Holy Spirit is in charge, and Peter is understandably nervous about being around these Gentile people. You may wonder what the, the general thought at the time about those who identified as Gentiles was. The rabbis of the day uh, used the term Gentile to define anybody who was not a Jew, you were either in and a Jew, or you were out and a Gentile. Gentiles were always out, okay? They were not acceptable people. Most of them thought of Gentiles as non-people. That's how they thought about them. One rabbi, Joshua ben Hananiah, he believed that some of these Gentiles could be righteous, and other than one particularly bad group, they would eventually believe in the one true God, and he also believed those who were righteous enough might escape hell, but probably not. <laughs> this is the most hopeful view of the Gentiles from the time of Peter and Paul and those first apostles. The more common view came from another rabbi called Simeon. He said, the best among the Gentiles, the best among the Gentiles deserves to be killed. Pretty severe, also pretty common. Eleazar ben Hyrcanus said, the mind of every Gentile is fixed upon idolatry. Another rabbi said that Jews guilty of the same sin as Gentiles would not go to hell, but the Gentile would, given all other things are the same. We think we've got tension in the community. Good grief, these strong feelings, these strong feelings tore at the fabric of the earliest Christian church. And now here is Peter sitting at the kitchen table in the house of a Gentile sinner. Cornelius says to him, God has told us that you have something to tell us. Would you please tell us? Peter is overwhelmed 
in this moment. This is chapter 10, verse 34. He begins, I truly understand God shows no partiality. God is deeply aware of the hearts of all those who seek God and who try to do what is right. You know, Cornelius, you know the message that he sent to the people of Israel, peace by Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. That message has been spreading every place, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to these things, how they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up, raised him from the dead on the third day, and allowed him to appear. We saw him. We ate with him. We drank with him. He is the one all the prophets testify about that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. As Peter was speaking, the most incredible thing happened. Joel, prophet Joel, chapter 2, verse 28, gets fulfilled in the next moment. Joel wrote, I will pour out my spirit on all people, says the Lord. And then it happened right there at Cornelius' house. While Peter is still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The same stuff happened to them as happened at Pentecost to the Jewish Christian disciples. Peter says, bring the water, just bring the water. If this is happening, we must baptize them. We have to do it. In baptizing them, Peter brings them in to the fullness of the body of Christ while the body of Christ is still trying to figure out what to do with these Gentile sinners who are so desperate to hear the good news. This is why Peter gets called back to Jerusalem, chapter 11. He has some splaining to do. The leaders of the early church, they were all faithful Jews, and they were deeply divided about what to do about all this. Their lifetime roadmap of God had run out, and they were in uncharted territory. They had a choice. Do we get some tape and glue and straight edges and try to make more roadmap, or do we grab a compass and hang on for the ride because God is moving too quickly? for roadmaps. They listened carefully to Peter, who summed up his case, verse 17, with, if then God has given them the same gift, the Holy Spirit, that he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I, who was I to hinder God? Silence fell over the whole room, verse 18. Then they praised God, saying, well then, God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. What did they do? What did they do? They grabbed the compass. They grabbed the compass. The church then exploded with Gentile converts who responded to the gospel as the Spirit kept moving. They were baptized into these churches, and the Spirit worked from there. But the issue wasn't resolved neatly. It remained an issue for a very long time, as these things often do. It still, it still to this day is an issue in the church. Though the descriptions have changed a dozen times in 2,000 years, we still find ourselves struggling with God's insistence upon working in places which are off the roadmap. What are we supposed to do? 
What are we supposed to do when God is out here off our roadmap? Just grab the compass. Please grab the compass. Remember that it is a compass. Be careful, thoughtful, kind. Pray. Be in the compass every day. Follow Jesus and relax so that you can enjoy the fact that God's power to save and make whole is so much bigger than all of our roadmaps, even Mr. McNally's. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may the people of God say, Amen. <laughs>